In today's economic environment, it's important for equipment finance companies to bring a message of uniqueness to their customers. Out-of-the-box vanilla solutions probably aren't what they're looking for, and most companies are not trying to save a dollar. Instead, they're trying to preserve themselves to adapt and thrive through economic turbulence. So how does an equipment finance company truly differentiate itself from the crowd? We'll explore that question and more in today's podcast. But before we begin, I want to tell you about my team's latest project, which I'm really excited about, Monitor Suite. Monitor Suite is the preeminent subscription platform for exclusive premium equipment finance industry content and much more. It features high quality streaming series like Three Minutes with Industry Leaders and our new documentary video series Reels. Monitor Suite members also have 24-7 access to our entire library of in-depth data reports dating back to 1992. They also can attend members-only live stream events and have exclusive access to articles that are just for members. For more information, please visit monitordaily.com suite. Monitor Suite is actually a project that I've been working on during my time in cohort two of Stripe's leadership program. And Stripe's just happens to be today's podcast sponsor. So let's hear a brief message from them. Stripe's is the leadership development program for the equipment finance industry. This 10 month program launches with a three day intensive transformational program and also includes master talks and master workshops from notable industry and leadership experts working cohort groups with other industry professionals, outcome-driven development sessions, and much more. Stripes has been a phenomenal experience for me, and I encourage you to learn more about the program by visiting stripesleadership.com. Hi, everyone. I'm Rita Garwood, Editor-in-Chief of Monitor. Joining me on the podcast today is Brian Slipka. Brian is co-founder and partner at Honor Capital. Brian, I'm excited to have you on the podcast today. Thanks, Rita. Great to be here. So I wanted to kind of set the stage for our conversation. I'd love to hear more about you and your professional background first. Yeah, thanks. I mean, uh, really, the the uh, my background really extends coming out of the University of Minnesota Business School, um, a career in uh, technology, uh, technology sales, which led to equipment finance and technology finance. Uh, um, um, sales, which then got me into management uh, uh, within the TCF family of businesses. And really what, what came from that throughout, I mean, I was there almost 15 years, and that's really where I, I built up my, my pedigree and chops and saw a lot of cycles within uh, what became uh, uh, Honor Capital, ultimately me creating it in 2000, really 2019 and 2020 is when we were behind the scenes getting it launched. And then we formally launched in summer of 2020. So, um, but my career extends. So my career, a lot of sales, a lot of marketing, a lot of uh, leadership and management, as well as a lot of entrepreneurial things. Um, outside of all those career progressions, I was also involved in a, in a number of businesses. And to this day, I, I have a whole family of, of businesses outside of Honor Capital, uh, True North Equity Partners that that I own and manage as well as a holding company. And so when you think about the aggregate experiences, it really culminated with uh, uh, Honor Capital being created. It was very natural, very uh, very much a, a natural progression that made sense. It does make sense. And you I like how you have those different perspectives uh, from different angles of, of the business in general. So what led you to found uh, Honor Capital? 
Well, I mean, you you did you just you just kind of answered the question. The seg the segue was perfect, Rita. Um, I mean, really, it was the the unique experiences that I'd had throughout all of the, the different things I had done over the years, whether it be as an investor, an entrepreneur, um, a practitioner uh, within uh, the world of finance, um, a practitioner in the world of management and leadership. Um, helping customers, really a client first sort of perspective. And then the other thing is, is I saw the leasing industry as a whole, and I saw an opportunity to have a message of uniqueness uh, with Honor Capital. And what that really is, is coming to the market with the, the, the customer um, at this core of what we are. And that means it even transcends things like profit and origination goals, that sort of thing. We, we're all about uh, the customer first, and and that's why we uh, called it honor. We want to honor the customer, and we and that's also why we had the old English spelling with the U in it because it's about you, the customer, you, the stakeholder, and uh, you, the employee I mean, within within our family. Um, and so that that's really what, uh, what what created the 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 uniqueness around honor. I like adding that you. <laughs> that's very cute, um, and it works for your business model too. So, yeah. given your perspective. Um, and everything that you know about all the different angles of the business, you know, we're in a higher interest rate environment right now, and we haven't had that for, for years. Um, what does this mean for different types of businesses today? Well, I think it's going to hit everybody a little bit differently. Um, speaking from my family of businesses that I actually uh, own um, and a managing partner of uh, with, from the holding company standpoint, the asset intensive businesses um, that, that are mission critical and business essential are thriving and are still thriving even despite the supply chain issues. I think their biggest challenges are more on the employee or retention side and hiring and finding the right enough people. Um, the services businesses are kind of all across the board um, depending upon the industries that they, that they serve. But overarching all of it, Rita, within this rising interest rate environment, I think is gonna be um, uh, some unique challenges and some headwinds coming into 2023 and 2024. Um, I think I think the, the market is frothy. The public market is very frothy, uh, but there's a lot of liquidity that still is on the sidelines. And so that will keep the economy strong despite lower spending and despite the cost of funds uh, being more being more pricey. Um, because there's so much liquidity, that will, that will keep a pressure on on, on, on consumerism and, and business spending, which I think will be a good thing, which translates into the, the recession probably being a little bit softer than, than like, certainly than like 2007, eight, nine, um, but, but um, maybe softer than people are anticipating. Because again, you can't, you can't dispute the amount of liquidity that still remains uh, on the sidelines. That's good to hear. That's a good perspective. So what do you think this means for, you know, equipment finance companies in general? Um, how, do, how do you see the high and higher interest rate environment for them? Well, I think it presents a great opportunity for all of us that are in the equipment finance industry um, because, because, listen, we're stewards of our clients, right? And when you think about that stewardship as we try to help our clients, and this goes for Honor, but this goes for any equipment finance company, as stewards of, for our clients, you know, as they uh, come up uh, along uh, some rigid senior debt covenants and things like that, that that happen in a in a in a in a market that gets a little bit tighter in a recessionary marketplace, banks get a little bit more conservative, uh, sources get a little bit more conservative. But because there's still liquidity, 
I think it's going to open up the equipment financing world for a ton of success and an alternative form of financing, uh, specifically uh, you know, related to a lot of these covenant uh, heavy bank uh, requirements, you know, standard commercial loans, that type of thing, commercial lending. I think, I think we're going to be uniquely positioned in the leasing industry and the equipment finance industry to be able to provide some, some access to capital that's non-dilutive that is that is compelling um, based on based on the equipment needs of, of our of our clients and and yeah it might be a little bit more expensive just with the cost of funds and that sort of thing but but when you think about the smart money versus cheap money um, I think what's going to be become very apparent as this marketplace continues to evolve is that there's going to be a flight to quality and that flight to quality isn't about having cheap uh, getting you know cheap borrowing it's going to be a flight to quality around smart money that being partners that are willing to come alongside them, folks like Honor Capital, other folks in the equipment finance industry, they're going to all benefit by us being smart, you know, smart money for, for our clients. That's great. Yeah. And, you know, it's best for the customer as well. So um, as you mentioned, lots of, you know, particularly regulated lenders are starting to tighten up their credit standards. Um, how do you see that playing out in equipment finance? Yeah, well, I mean, like I mentioned a few minutes ago, I mean, I think I think that tightening is going to create an opportunity for lessors, um, and and this notion of smart money will will begin to emerge. The creativity that that equipment financing provides is 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 awesome, and in, in an environment of uncertainty, where you can still uh, lend or provide provide uh, you know clients can provide their equipment and post their equipment as collateral to preserve against other rigid forms of financing. Equipment financing is going to, I think, grow. And I think it's, I think we're, we're all uniquely positioned to do well. And, and we should all be excited about that. Now, the big, the big variable is, is our sources, right? I mean, a lot of us lessors uh, will, will um, work with other sources uh, for, for capital. And I think the one thing that I would Say that will will um, the winners and if there are winners and losers, I think the winners are going to be the ones that have access, appropriate access to capital um, in a meaningful and quick way. Um, even though there's plenty of liquidity, the access to that liquidity I think is going to remain uh, elusive for some. And so I think the ones that have that access will benefit greatly and do re really well and perform well, and I think will realize significant growth. That's good. So as the tighten mar uh, the credit market tightens up a lot, um, you know, companies that were once considered bankable um, might not be bankable these days. Um, is there opportunity for equipment finance companies to kind of seize that opportunity and add those businesses to their list of clients, or is it too risky to, uh, to go there? Yeah, I, th I think, uh, I, th I think there's a great opportunity. So I think, you know, let's say B minus credits, ones that are fringe bankable, where maybe the community banks will still will still lend to them based on the relationship uh, dynamics and the strength of uh, possibly like the owner through through personal guarantees and things of that nature. That will that will still continue to be uh, omnipresent. But what I think what's going to happen is you're going to start to see some of those community banks even turn to uh, solutions like leasing and strategic leasing and equipment financing. Because it 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 does pre, uh, uh, present a little bit more structured form for them to be successful, and so I think what you're going to see is some 
uh, frankly, this is this is this is definitely my belief. But um, I'm, I think you're going to see some of the community banks that are um, in select markets, ones that are the stronger community banks, start to double down on on their their interest in equipment finance and leasing as a as an alternative product than the traditional banking. And I think that's going to be an opportunity for many of us in many different ways. I mean, it might be an exit strategy for some independent lessors. It might be a partnership opportunity for, for many. Um, it might be a, a synergistic opportunity for many with, uh, you know, providing, providing more uh, uh, capacity uh, to that community bank um, in alternative ways. So I, I think you're going to see a lot of different, create a lot of creativity emerge, which is all good. I mean, like that's good for the industry. I mean, this industry, is as 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 much as um, the old guard is starting to turn over a little bit. I mean, I, I'd go to some of those, these ELFA uh, meetings, um, you know, three, four, five years ago, and and you could sort of identify the demographic. Um, you know, it's and 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 now four or five years later, you're starting to see a, a, a younger generation, a very diverse uh, generation, start to emerge. And I think with that's going to come innovation, and then with some of this recessionary pressure also create more innovation. And so I just look at it as a huge opportunity for a lot of people and, and specifically our industry. Well, that's fantastic. So looking ahead to the, the end of the year and going into you know first quarter 2023, what do you think equipment finance companies top objectives should be for really thriving in the economic environment we're in? You know, I think, um, I just had a, I just had a meeting with our our our, our sales team uh, just yesterday, actually, as a matter of fact, Rita, regarding this very question and topic. And one of the things that we discussed was this this incredible uh, the sense of importance to be in front of the client and in front of the customer, and to really be building deep rooted relationships, real relationships based on trust, based on uh, shared experiences, as opposed to just being another, you know, term sheet that they can look at and review as an option as an option for financing. I mean, big difference, right? And so I think what you're going to see is this flight to quality. And part of that flight to quality, as I mentioned earlier, is a flight to relationship and a flight to smart money, right? And so I think when you think about what we ought to be focused on, not only to finish out the year, but also get the next next year, 2023, started, it's going to be really doubling down on those relationships that we have. And the, and, and the trust that we've built with our clients and extending that capacity, giving, giving them really helping them come alongside them. And, and that's different than I think in the past. I think in the past, there was this, um, this incredible focus on structural, structural benefits, um, pricing, pricing pressures and all that. I think now it's less about pricing pressures and less about just, you know, new logos and new, 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 um, new wallet share. And it's more about helping those that you have strong relationships with. And, and, and that should always be important, but I think right now it's going to be even more important because, you know, there's not going to be a lot of openness for, for, I believe as recessionary pressures continue for banks to, to, to start new banking relationships uh, as, as much or as, as, as well. And so, so that means that they need to double down on those they are uh, working with. So, for what that means for honors, hey, we need to go, need to be going back to our clients and really letting them know that hey, we're here to help them. We want to help them. We want to help them navigate through their their difficulties and uh, let us know how we can help. And we want to be invested in them. And so I think you're going to see a, a, really a, a doubling down on that type of focus, that existing customer base, um, and then any new customers. It's going to be really uh, 
based on the relationships that we've built in the marketplace and the trust we've built in the marketplace. So, you know, the trust, the trust is truly a competitive advantage. And so what are we doing as, 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 as originators to build that trust? That's really the focus that we have to uh, hone in on, particularly over the next few months. That's great. Yeah. And that trust will bring loyalty and, you know, continue business. That's yeah. Great. And I, and I know it sounds, I know it sounds kind of qualitative, like really soft and mushy and not very specific, but, but, but it, it's, it's, it's so specific. I mean, it's, it's so important. I mean, the trust where, where a, a client is going to you, not because of the rate or the term sheet. I mean, that stuff is still important. Don't get me wrong, but, but they're going to you because they trust that you can execute for them. And so delivering that, 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 that business confidence, that ethos of confidence to our clients is, is really what I'm talking about. And, and, uh, and it's, 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 it's extremely important this time of uh, year, but also with the economic landscape we have in front of us. Yeah, being that solid, dependable rock that they, they can rely on. That's too great. Well, Brian, it was great talking with you today. Thanks for being on the podcast. Awesome. Thank you, Rita. I appreciate it. And thanks for all that you guys do at the, at the monitor and within the ELFA. Thanks so much.